This is a LifeGate Church podcast. Tune in to hear from our team as we encourage you to discover the freedom and purpose that Jesus offers. If you want to find out more about who we are, visit lifegate.org.au. Well, four years ago, for those who are doing school leadership, this is the me. We're in school leadership doing the commun- a communication week. And we uh, use this structure. I hope you can listen for it. It's here in the message today for those on school leadership. Well, four years ago, I was, um, I was invited to go on a trip to the US with a bunch of uh, 12 other pastors, 13 other pastors. And we went and traveled and saw 14 different churches in California and also in Phoenix, so LA and also in Phoenix. It was a wonderful experience. And as we went, because there was 14 of us, we would regularly bump into people and like on the bus as we were traveling or in the airport or in a in a like in those what's that takeaway place in and out is it in and out in and out yeah in and out burgers and stuff they're they're pretty good and cheap in the US wow it's cheap it was cheap until the Aussie dollar dropped yeah anyway and so <coughs> excuse me so I was um, in these environments with uh, four to thirteen other pastors. And people would come up to us and say, um, you guys are a big group. What are you doing? Um, where are you going? And then we would say, we're a group of pastors from Sydney. And when we said this in the US, people were like, oh, wow, that's cool. Where are you going? Where are you being? Um, that's, that's excellent. You guys do great work. Thank you for what you're doing. I um, hope you have a wonderful trip. And then one time we were going from LA to Phoenix and we we're on a bus doing some sort of exchange from in the airport. Um, and... And there was an, a lady, a lady in the 20s that we met, and she said, you're a big group of you guys, same sort of thing, where are you going, what you're about? We're a bunch of pastors um, from, um, from Australia, we're checking out churches, and we said, what do you do? And she said, I'm a, I'm, I'm a salesperson, and I sell cigars um, across the US. I said, I'm, um, and she said, I'm, 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 I'm really pleased I've met you today. I think this must be a sign that God wants me to get back to church. Because I haven't been going to church for a while, but now you're here. It must be a sign from God that he wants me to go back to church. And everywhere we went in the U.S., as we introduced ourselves as pastors, people were really positive. People were excited to see us, and it was a wonderful thing. Now, that's not my experience that I've experienced in Australia. In, in Australia, when I tell people that people, um, when you meet people and you're polite and you ask what they do, as you do, and they would say they're uh, whatever, and they say, what do you do? And, and I say, I'm a pastor. And they go, what? I'm a, like a minister, like a what? Like a priest. Oh. And that's, the, and that's generally the end of the conversation. Usually. That's it. And they don't want to talk about that anymore. Massive difference between what, what we saw in the U.S., and uh, what we saw and what we see today, even in Australia. And it's interesting that in Australia, the Anglo-Saxons, people who look like me, um, generally aren't really excited about Christianity. Where the growth is in Australia, in the Christian church, is the people who don't look like me. People who look like Marcelo and different, different nationalities. That's where the growth is in the Christian church. Uh, in the non-English-speaking background people, that's where the growth is. The, the, the Anglo-Saxon Australia, and not just the Anglo-Saxon, it's widened this. Generally, God's church is on the nose. We've just had the Royal Commission, and the Royal Commission around ch- children and safety and stuff has just shown how poorly the church has done. And I go, it makes sense the church is on the nose, nose when you see all that stuff and Cardinal Pell and, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. 
Christianity is regularly seen as irrelevant. And um, if you say you're a Christian, I wonder how people respond to you. Can anyone relate to what I'm saying today? Anyone relate to this? Yeah. I reckon if you're a Christian here today, this is the way for school leadership, the way. I reckon if you're, you're a Christian today, you may have experienced some of these things. You may have experienced others bagging out Christianity and bagging out the Bible or bagging out faith. You might have even experienced rejection yourself because you've said you're a Christian. Maybe people think of you differently now and treat you differently now because you're a Christian. Maybe you've heard others bag out the Bible and just say that it's a bunch of fairy tales and that was an old way of doing things. Now we're in a new... Society has moved forward. Society has grown and now that is no longer relevant for our lives. Well, if, if that's how you feel this morning, I believe I have a message for you, and here's the message. I believe the message for us is that God wants us to be people of courageous, courageous faith. God wants us to be people of courageous faith. If we're going to define these words, here's some definitions. Courageous, we talked about this earlier in the year, doing something even when you're afraid. There's a good definition of courageous. Doing something even when you're afraid. Faith is to trust, believe, it's to rely upon. Surrender to God. Trust in God, rely upon, believe in God, surrender to God. And when you put those two words together, here's my definition of courageous faith. Trust in God even when you're afraid. And it's in those moments when, when, I, when, when people look down on you as a Christian. When you hear the Bible is no longer relevant for us, it was, a, it was a bunch of stories that related to that culture, and it doesn't really fit with us today, well, then it can be easy for us to step back and shrink back and go, I'm not going to speak out. I'm not going to say anything. I'm going I'm to shrink back in this moment. I'm going to hide my faith. But right now in Australian society, friends, God is calling us to be courageous in our faith, to trust God even when we're afraid, to stand firm, let nothing move us. When we hear what's going on in Australia around um, the abortion stuff and the, and the free speech and what Israel Folau did on social media and stuff, it's, it's pretty obvious that our Christianity is under threat. And it, can, and, it can easy, and it can be easy for us to feel like, oh, oh dear, it's, it's, it's getting worse. Um, we're in trouble here. But, but what I want to tell you this morning is that God is on the throne. And what Con said so beautifully that our, Jesus is our saviour and he's the king of kings, that he is the creator, he's the Lord of lords. And friends, we have nothing to fear because he holds it all together in the palm of his hands. He makes it spin. He makes the sun shine on the righteous and the unrighteous. God is so kind to us. It's God's will that people are still saved and everybody will come to repentance. That's his will. God is the God who is still saving. God is the God who is still setting people free. And although we might feel pressure from the political thing, they are, no, they are not powerful compared to our God and our, and our Lord and our, and our Savior. Friends, we've got nothing to fear because we're on his team. He is our captain and he's calling the shots. He's calling the shots of this world. It says in the scriptures, many are the plans in a man's heart. But it's the Lord's purpose that will prevail. 
You know, the politicians, the people can say all types of things. But God has a plan. He has a purpose for his humanity. And he is seeing his plan and his purpose fulfilled. And though it might look a little bit scary for us little Christians in Australia, where the persecution is increasing, not like it is in China or like it is in North Korea or Afghanistan and Iraq, where, where Christians are killed for their faith. No, it's nothing like that. But, but the pressure on Christianity and faith is being turned up. And it's easy in those moments for us to shrink back and get afraid and get concerned about what could happen. But we need to remember who our God is. We've got to remember that he is our God and our rock and our fortress, that he is our refuge and he is our strength. He's the one that moves mountains. He's the one who we can cling tight to. He's the one who is fulfilling our purposes. And all we need to do is walk in his plan. And, and he's got it all sorted. We do not need to be afraid. We've got to keep trusting him, even if we're afraid. Be people of courageous faith. This morning, I want to take you to, to, our, to our three Three Bible passages and, and are three examples of courageous faith for us living in the 21st century in Australia. The first area of courageous faith is this. Courageous faith equals this. Believing God's truth when it's against popular opinion. What we believe as Christians is under threat. People are pushing back. They're saying we're irrelevant, that, that the, the, the books, our Bible's irrelevant, the teachings of Jesus. We like the... Love your neighbor as yourself part. We like treat others as you want to be treated. We like look after widows and orphans. But the stuff around marriages between a man and a woman, well, no, no, that, that can't be right. Love your enemies, oh, that's, that's a struggle. Sin is serious. And after life, there is a heaven and a hell. And each one of us is going to be judged for, what, um, for how we live. That's what the Bible tells us. And people hear that and go, hang on a second. What we believe, friends, in Australia... People are coming against it. The courageous faith is believing God's truth, even when, we're, even when there is opposition against us, even when it's against popular opinion. I want to take you to uh, John chapter 6 this morning. In John chapter 6, Jesus has just fed the 5,000. Then he walks on water. And after he walks on water, because he fed them, he ends up on the other side of the lake and the people follow him around the lake and they want to find him again. And Jesus says, these people have come because they've been fed. Um, And then he feeds them with words. He then speaks this, 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 this crazy message around bread. He goes back to Moses and he talks about the manna from heaven when the, when the Israelites were walking in the desert. God supplied, their means, God supplied their needs for 40 years with quail, the little chickens, and, and the bread, sweet bread that, that, that fell from the sky. Little chickens, quail. Is that right? Something like that? Think of that, chicken. Roasted chicken. Mmm, every day for 40 years. Mmm, tasty. I'd be complaining too. Anyway, so Jesus starts to talk about the bread that came down, and he says, I'm that bread. And then he says, I'm the bread of life. You, you had your food. I fed your bread yesterday, fed the 5,000, but I'm the one you've got to feed on. And then Jesus goes even further and says, if, if, you, if you're going to believe in me, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they're like, what? Eat my flesh and drink my blood. Now, what's Jesus talking about there? He's obviously talking about this that we celebrated today. Yeah? The communion piece. He's also talking about intimacy with him. And when they heard it, they didn't understand it, and they freaked out. And they went, this is a, this is a hard teaching. And this is what happens in John chapter 666. Oh, 666, that's scary. From this time, 
many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Read that sentence. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him because of the stuff that he said. This is a hard teaching. It doesn't fit into our culture. We don't like it. And as a result, many of his disciples turned back. And then he's 67. Jesus says, you do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the 12. And Simon Peter answered, Lord, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. You know, what Jesus said was not popular for the people. Many people left. But the 12 knew who he was. They held on tight. They put their trust in him because they believed he was the one who had the words of eternal life. You know, in our society today, some of the words of Jesus, like I said before, are celebrated. Love your neighbor as yourself. They love that bit. They love that bit. But the other stuff, where Jesus talks about marriages between a man and a woman, that there is heaven, there's hell, that everybody is going to be held account on that day of judgment, man, that today is people push back really, really strongly on those sort of things. And, and, and Jesus didn't talk about all the issues. I mean, the Bible talks about lots more issues than our Jesus did. And a lot of that stuff is opposed to in our society today. But if you're a Christian here this morning, God's word to us is his truth. God's word to us is precious. This is what it says about oops, God this is what it says about God's word in 2 Timothy 3:16. It says, "All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness." so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That all scripture, all, all the words of God are, are breathed out by God, are spoken by God, and people heard and wrote. People remembered their experiences as they were carried along by the Spirit and wrote. So, 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 so God's word, the Bible is actually God's words to us. It has authority. It is true. And it's there for us to equip us, to correct us, to teach us, to train us in righteousness or right living. So the servant of God, his, his people may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now God's word is true. We can, we can believe it. And, 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 I, something, and, and something for me, when you're talking to someone who doesn't believe what I believe, they say, well, that's what the Bible says about itself. The Bible says that it's this. Well, how has that got much credibility when, like, if, if, if I'm speaking about myself um, I'm a really good soccer player. Well, that's, that's really nice. But where's the, where's the credibility here? But the, uh, the uh, thing that I think gives the Bible most credibility is the resurrection of Jesus. See, Jesus declares while he's living that I'm going to die and I'm going to rise again. Now, if you've been in church for a long time, you've heard that statement many times. You go, yes, that's true. But just think about that for a sec. Imagine if Shane, Shane, you just decided one day to be the Messiah. Shane, imagine. Pretending, Shane. Pretend. You with me? And Shane decides to declare that he's going to die on a cross. Well, we we could make that happen, Shane, I'm pretty sure. But then rise again. How's he going to do that? That's crazy. Unless it's true. Unless it's true. And so for Jesus to declare that he's going to die, then rise, and then actually do it, wow! That brings so much credibility to what he says. 
And because he was true to his word, that he did rise from the dead, we can then believe everything else he says is true. Yes? And Jesus speaks about the scriptures in the Old Testament is true. If that gives validity to the scriptures in the, in, in the Old Testament, we, we can believe the stuff in the New Testament because of what Jesus said. And then Jesus gives authority to the apostles to write with his authority, and that's the rest of the New Testament. We can believe the scriptures is true because of the resurrection of, because of the resurrection of Jesus. When the world comes against you, when the world says other things, we can stand firm. And friends, we have a choice. We can choose to believe the words in the, in the Bible is true, or we can choose to pick some of them as true. Well, I'm going to choose that one, but I don't, I don't like that bit. And this is what lots of people do as well. They do. Because it's not socially acceptable to believe this, well, therefore, maybe I need to leave that bit out or change that bit. Jesus didn't really mean that when he said that. It's easy to do that, but that's not what God, God's calling us to do. You know, we see from our society, our culture, God sees from absolute truth and righteousness. Different way of looking at the world. Different set of glasses. God's calling us to stand on his word, to believe it is true. And when the voices come, allow them to come and stand firm and say, this is what I believe. This is what I believe. Courageous faith. That's the first thing this morning. Here it is here. Courageous faith equals believing God's truth when it's against popular opinion. Believing God's truth when it's against popular opinion. The second thing I want to talk about today around courageous faith is this. Courageous faith equals believing in Jesus when it could mean rejection. Believing in Jesus when it could mean rejection. I want to take you to Matthew chapter... Where is it? Matthew chapter 9. And there's a story and just a few verses of the woman who has bleeding. This is what it says in Matthew chapter 9, verse 20 to 22. Just then a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him, Jesus, and touched the edge of his cloak. He said to herself, if I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. If I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed from that moment. Now, in Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 8, it gives us more details. It tells us that, that uh, Jesus is in this massive crowd and that people are pushing up against him. They're rubbing up against him. And then he feels power come from, out from him. And he says, who touched me? And he looks around at this woman who's got bleeding for 12 years. And at that moment, she's instantly healed. Now, that's important because of what's going on at the time. Now, uh, a woman with bleeding, that's a um, menstrual bleeding. And it's been going on consistently for 12 years. We aren't told this woman's name or what she's done, but she's no doubt tried the physicians, doctors, physicians, that's a hard word, the people at the time, and, and nothing's worked for her. And because of the bleeding, she was classed as unclean. Now let me tell you what that means. Back in Leviticus chapter 15, God gave the Lord of Moses about clean and unclean. Now to be unclean simply meant that you couldn't worship at the temple. You couldn't offer the sacrifices. You couldn't go into the temple grounds and worship. You couldn't do that. Or the tabernacle back then. You couldn't come and worship because you were unclean. Now, there is nothing sinful about, the, about menstruation. Correct word? Yes. I'm very unqualified to talk about this. Very unqualified. Um, there's nothing sinful about that. But because it's blood and 
blood has got stuff in it. It's, um, you know, stuff in it, blood. It's not clean. So all the girls are laughing at me. Hang in there, ladies, hang in there. So because, let's just laugh, let's, let's make the elephant out of the room. Nathan's talking about menstruation. Ha, 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 Can we keep going now? Keep going now. And so because God is pure and holy, God, because God's pure and holy, if, any had a, if people had anything impure, like bleeding, for example, because there's stuff in blood, you, they, they couldn't approach God. But it's also true in Leviticus chapter 15 for men. It also talks about doesn't, uh, the body fluids of semen. That if, that, that, be careful here, Nathan, because if, 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 if men have a passing of semen, they're also unclean because semen, again, has stuff in it. Um, doctors wear gloves when they look after us because we can pass on germs and bacteria. And because of that, unclean. So for this woman, here we go, here's the important bit. For this woman, she couldn't go to the temple and worship for 12 years. And even worse than that, in Leviticus 15, it says that if you are unclean because of a passing of bodily fluid, men and women, you are unclean for that whole day. And any, anybody you touched, you touched, we're not, well, might wake him up. Anyone you touched might, would be unclean too. Unclean too. Can't go to the temple and worship. And then this woman, right, hasn't been in the temple and worship, would have had family and friends and no doubt the community, because the community was very connected, would have known about her condition. And she's pushing through a cloud, you're unclean, you're unclean, you're unclean, doesn't say it. You're unclean. Making all these people unclean that these people can't worship at the temple, which would be a bummer. And even if their clothes or their, their uh, bed that they, was, that they slept on during their unclean period was touched. Well, that person who touched it was unclean as well. This is a big deal, right? So for this woman who pushes through the clouds and makes everybody unclean in order to touch Jesus was putting, a, putting herself in a place where she could be majorly rejected and, and condemned by the community. Now, they, they are, don't notice. Well, we aren't told they noticed in the scriptures anyway. And she risked, she risked, risked, I can't say that word, risked, R-A-S-K-E-D, rejection of others in order to, couldn't say that word, I got stuck, tongue-tied, in order to pursue Jesus and touch him because she knew what Jesus could do for him, her. What she, knew, she knew what Jesus could do for her. Incredible. And when she touched Jesus, she was instantly healed. With the risk of rejection and condemnation, from the community. You touch me. You can't touch me. You're unclean. Get away from us. She risked all that to get what Jesus had for her. To get what Jesus had for her. And in our society today, friends, you know, we can be rejected. Believing in Jesus can mean rejection. People can find out about what, what we believe. They can find out we're a Christian and they can reject us. They can leave us out. That's my experience when I was um, finishing school and I got serious about faith. My friends stopped inviting me to stuff. They just stopped because I didn't do what they did. Because I talked about Jesus too much maybe as well. That's another problem. But they rejected me. But friends, we need to know that if we're being rejected by family and friends, by people that know us because of our faith in Jesus, what we have in Christ, what we have in him is so much greater than any rejection anyone could give us. In Christ, we have our sins forgiven. 
our greatest problem. We have relationship with God. We have eternal salvation. We have the God who is never going to leave us, nor is going to forsake us. He's the one that promises to meet our, meet our needs and to, and to guide us and, and carry us through life. And sometimes it means in life there is rejection and people speak negatively and people leave us out and stuff. We need to hold on to all that God has tightly because rejection can hurt. But what Jesus gives us is so much greater than any rejection anybody could give you or treat you. In Hebrews chapter 10, it says this. The writer of Hebrews writing to the Christians at the time, remember those earlier days that you had received the light, after you had, after you had received the light, when you were jewed in a great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who, who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully confiscated, accepted the confiscation of your property. You joyfully accept, joyfully, joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. Do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. Why did you joyfully accept the confiscation of your property? Because you knew that yourselves had a better and lasting possessions. It's talking about what we have now in Christ and what we will have in Christ on that day when he returns. Rejection, persecution now does not compare to what we have in Christ and what the future is going to be for us. Friends, the second thing about courageous faith is believing in Jesus when it could mean rejection. The third one this morning. Courageous faith equals living out your faith even though people could think negatively of you. Now I'm taking a step back. Rejection's pretty strong, but thinking negatively, that's much more subtle and can be more of a problem in some ways because we're thinking about what they're thinking. I want to take you this morning, this is our last passage to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8 verse 5, we have the story of a Roman centurion who goes to Jesus. Now this is not a Jewish person. It's a Roman centurion, highly powerful person at the time. He's got a hundred soldiers under his command. He would have been one of the, one of the, the, um, the uh, main Roman leaders at the time of Jesus. Remember that at the time of Jesus, the Roman Empire was in charge. They allowed the Jews to practice their way of worship, but the Romans were in charge. So the Romans were around. They were, they were uh, walking the streets like the police, making sure everybody did what they should have done. And this Roman centurion goes to this Jewish teacher. Fascinating. Here it is here. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home, paralyzed, suffering greatly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? And the centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word. Just say the word, Jesus, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am, am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. And that one, come, and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this, and he does this. In other words, I understand I have authority. People do what I say. And Jesus, I recognize that you have authority. When you speak, things will happen. Powerful, isn't it? Amazing. And if, if only we had faith like this. Anyway. Verse 10, when Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel 
with such great faith. No one in Israel, not among the Jews. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west. So he's now speaking to the crowds, the east and the west, that's us. And will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. That's us. Many will come in. But the subjects of the kingdom, the Jewish people, will be thrown outside into the darkness where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Why? Because they didn't worship him. They didn't acknowledge him as Lord. Now, some have. Praise God. This is not all Jews. It's the ones that have not yet recognized him as Savior and Lord. And then verse 13, then, Jewish, then, then, then Jesus said to the centurion, go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And, and his servant was healed at that moment. Go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that very moment. This uh, centurion, highly powerful Roman, goes to a Jewish teacher for healing for his servant. Now, the centurions were the, were the bomb. They were in charge. They were the powerful ones. And they were overseeing these, these slaves, these servants of the empire called the Jews and many other places around the globe because it was the Roman Empire. Imagine how the other centurions would have seen this man. We don't know his name. Just described as a centurion. Imagine how the other centurions would have seen him. Why are you going to him for? What's wrong with you? Why would you stoop yourself so low to go to a Jewish person for help? And then... The hundred people under him, they're looking up and going, our leader did what? Going to one of those people, are you serious? Is he trustworthy now? Is he a leader that I want to follow? Maybe I want to get a transfer. And then imagine the uh, Jewish leaders. These Romans who they don't like, yet they're in some sort of relationship so so, so the Jewish leaders can still be in charge, sort of, then goes to the guy they don't like, for help. I don't even know what's going on in their head, but it can't be good. This centurion risked the negative opinions of those around him to go to Jesus for his servant. It wasn't for him. It was for his servant. He no doubt thought that he could be rejected that people would think negatively of him. And yet, he did it anyway. And friends, as, as, as people who are called to share our faith in Jesus, man, it's easy for, us, for, the, for the concern of other people's thinking toward us that could hold us back from doing what we're called to do. We've talked a lot about in the last few weeks about investing and inviting, and we did this in life groups this week as well. The people that you're investing in, the people who, who, who need Jesus, those ones you're spending time with, you're getting to know, as you talk about your life, and as you talk about life, like Jesus comes up, doesn't he, because he's so important to us, if you're a believer here this morning. And then they then have an opinion of that. And it could be a positive one, it could be neutral, or it could be negative. 
And sometimes those, those are negative thoughts that we think they could be having can hold us back from saying something, from inviting something, from doing something to investing. These things can hold us back because we're concerned about how they're going to think about us. When I was at university, I had a lecturer. Um, he's still there. I looked, I looked online. His name was John. And he taught us in oral um, listening and intervals and scales. And, and he was anti, anti-Christian. And I had this big Christian sticker on my bag. And I caught the bus a few times with him. And, we, and, and I, I just shared faith with him because that's what I thought the Lord wanted me to do. And, and he was not happy about it at all. And then, I thought my, and, 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 and then I'm thinking to myself, hang on. This guy's marking my exams and stuff. <laughs> this guy's marking my work. Hmm. Hmm. Um, how's this going to go? Went, oh, well, Lord, you want me to do it? I'm going to do it anyway. I didn't allow his negative, and he had a negative thinking towards me and faith. I didn't allow that to stop me. But then I reckon there's other times where, where, where I reckon it has, where we're in a, down at soccer where we're talking with the men. And I'm always looking for opportunities to share, like, share Jesus. And I'm sometimes thinking, oh, that person's not excited about it. Or if I say it now, they, they, could, they could think of me negatively, which could then affect this. And it's easy to get all wound up in this stuff. Whereas God has called us to shine the light of Jesus with our words, our actions, to invest in people and invite. And don't allow the negative thoughts of others to direct our steps. So in finishing today, where are you, school leadership, you, where are you at? Here's three things. Number one, the first thing I talked about around courageous faith is believing God's truth when it's against popular opinion. The second thing that I talked about, courageous faith is believing in Jesus when it could mean rejection. Courageous faith, number three, is living out your faith even though people could think negatively of you. If I ask you to choose one of those that, that stands out to you the most, that is most challenging for you today, which one is it? Number one, number two, or number three? Have a think. Who are the people who, who have number one speaking to them the strongest? Number one? There's a few of you guys. For those that are number one, you know, God's word is true. You, you can rely on it. Jesus rose from the dead. It, it proves who he was and what he said is to be true. We can stand on his word, all of it. It is all God-breathed. It's all for us. We can stand on his word. It's true, no matter what other people say. Who are the people in number two? Believe in Jesus when it could mean rejection. Yeah? Let me remind you of what you have in Christ. That God has forgiven you. That you have eternal life. That that you have relationship with God. You have these wonderful things. And do not allow your fear of rejection and you um, being held back by that to stop you pursuing and being who God wants you to be because what he's given you is so much better, is so much greater than any rejection anybody else could give you. What you have in Christ is so much greater than any, than any, than any of that. 
The third people, the third people, the third people living out your faith, even though people could think negatively of you. Who's that? Yeah, that's that's the biggest one. That's the biggest one. Friends, I think it relates back to the second one. Remember what you got in Christ. But also God is still calling you to shine the light of Jesus. To stand firm. To continue to invite. To continue to invest. Even if they think negatively of you. Because these people need Jesus. They need him. He is their only hope of salvation. He is their only hope of forgiveness of sin. They need him. Push past, push past your fear of their negative thinking for the sake of the people in your world who need him. That centurion laid down his fear of negative thinking for the sake of his servant. Let's lay down our fear of that for the sake of others. Imagine a church of people of courageous faith. Imagine if, imagine if rejection was not a thing that held us back from shining the light of Jesus. Imagine if the, the, the concept of people thinking negatively of us did not hold us back from, from being the people who God wanted us to be. And imagine what the world says about what is true and what's true does not hold us back from standing firm and declaring. Imagine the influence it would have on this world. Imagine the, more, and the number of lives that would be transformed. Imagine the impact that would have. Let's be people of courageous faith. Thanks for joining us on the LifeGate Church Podcast. Our church is a place to discover the freedom and purpose that Jesus offers. 